welcome to Church of the Well podcast. Thank you for joining us. Where the ball is played out in front of me and I am running. 
people and I'm sprinting. I'm like, in fact, in my head, I'm running so fast. I'm like, I still got it. Like, if I'm going to get this ball, like, there's nobody that's going to be able to, like, like I'm it. I'm just, I'm, I'm giving everything that I've got. And then this kid just goes, shoo, right past me. Like, I wasn't even moving. I was just standing still. And I thought, wow. And I remember asking Christy, like, I felt like I was working so hard. And she said something like, I've never seen anything work so hard or move so slow in my life. Right? And I'm like, wow, like, age has really hit me. And I'm... I'm, I'm no longer identified as a soccer player anymore. Why? Because I'm not playing. Right? Like, you come and ask me, like, who are you? I might, like, have war stories. Or you go to Pastor Matt and say, Pastor Matt, like, tell me about your football days. He has crazy stories. But if you ask Pastor Matt who he is right now, he's not going to go, well, I'm a football player. Right? Because we're not anymore. That's not what we do. I mean, I, I still... My brain still says I can still do certain things, and then when I try it, my body doesn't let me. And so my identification and how I describe myself to other people is now I'll say, I'm an ex-athlete, right, who tries to pretend to do things that, you know, here, like Saturday at the Tough Mudder, right? And I'm still debating whether I'm going to do this because not one of you signed up to do it with me. Right? And so I'm going, okay, am I going to do this or not? Like, either you're the one who's by myself because I know it's going to be really hard. It's been hard. You've done it. You've had a team every year, except this year. And there's no judgment here. But I don't identify myself that way anymore. And the thing is, like, what I've realized is you don't identify me that way either. Because if you set me up next to an athlete, you're not going to look at me and go, oh, he's the athlete. Right? My body's changed. The way I dress has changed. My physical abilities have changed. If you watch me play against an athlete, you're going to be like, no. So how do you identify yourself? Okay. How we identify ourselves makes a big difference. It is. like We have these, these things that it, it shows outwardly, the way we behave, the way we act. I've talked about that. And so when we're making this comparison to being a Christ follower, there's certain attributes that are supposed to be displayed so that others look at us and go, oh, Christ follower. Right? And it may not be the world around us. The world around us who doesn't know Jesus might go, ooh, weird, ooh, odd, ooh, different. Like that, I don't know how you're going through something so difficult and still portraying so much joy. You're not necessarily going to identify that with Jesus right away. But your friends and your family and your church family and other Christ followers might recognize that right away. Right? Where they go, wow, like, I see Jesus in you. Right? I, 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 you're behaving a certain way that's allowing me to see Jesus come out of you. And yet, I think oftentimes in the church, we don't really do that. I said a couple weeks ago, there was a, when I was growing up, there was this big, like, push in the church that they were like, if you were to die tomorrow, is there enough evidence in your life to convict you as a Christ follower? And that's, I haven't heard that in a really long time, right? But it still holds true. And what this passage is going to do is it's going to challenge us to say, hey, I know there's this constant battle and understanding, like how do faith and works play out? We know that without question in, in our faith, it's faith that saves us, it's faith that brings us to salvation, it's nothing that we do, it's nothing that we deserve, it's all about Jesus and everything that He's done. But we also know that when we accept Christ and we become part of His family and we are identifying with Him and and our ultimate goal is to become more and more like Jesus. I told the Gen Centers this morning, and, or yesterday here, maybe before yesterday, I don't even know. We, your goal as a Christ follower is to go to bed knowing Jesus better than when you woke up that morning. Right? Which means there's something about Jesus that maybe has been employed or you've uh, learned about or whatever, and you can actually lay your head down on the pillow and go, Jesus, I... I represented you well today, I saw you today, I, I grew today, I, or I was convicted of something today, or whatever it was. That's not necessarily always how we work. Oftentimes, when it comes to things of faith, we'll identify and say, yes, I'm a Christian, but then when we look at our life, it doesn't really resemble that. Right? So, let me back up for 
in just a second before we dive in. We've all met these people. And I want, the reason I'm going to say this is because I want you to understand what it probably looks like from the outside world for us to claim identity with something but not practice it. Right? So we've all met in high school the person that wasn't the athlete but claimed to be. Right? Do, do you know this person? And if you can't think of anybody, it might have been you. Right? But it's like there's no way that you're an athlete. Like you can't walk and chew gum at the same time. Right? Or they would identify as like an intellectual, but you knew they were one of the worst students in the class. Or they identified with whatever it was. I mean, it's like somebody asked, what do you do? Well, I'm a plumber. Well, what is the last thing you've plumbed? Well, I've never actually done plumbing work before. Then how do you identify as a plumber? Right? If you haven't done the work, if there's not actually evidence of you getting the job done, then why are you claiming that you're a part of that identity? And that's one of the things that James is pushing us toward. He's saying, look, as a Christ follower, it's more than just claiming it. Jesus didn't come so that you can be part of a club. He came to change lives. He came so that you are freed from the bonds of sin and free to give yourself over to him willingly as a bond servant so that we can be humbly obedient to what he asks us to do. But the church, I would say, especially in the United States, because it's relatively easy to claim Christ here as opposed to other places in the world. We'll say, well, I'm a Christ follower. And then what we do sometimes doesn't represent Jesus in the scriptures at least. Or we kind of just hide it and say, well, that's, that's kind of over here. And you know, I go to church on Sunday and I'm part of a small group. But the decisions that I make and the way that I live my life isn't really conducive to the life of what Jesus would say is a Christ follower. I'm going to give you one more example and then we'll move forward. Thank God Jesus wasn't just lip service. Because this is the context of everything. Jesus came and said, I am going to, I am here to seek and save the lost. I'm going to die for the remission of your sins. I'm going to sacrifice myself. Just imagine if Jesus had shown up and said all of those things and didn't fulfill it. salvation all he wanted, but the fact that he was willing to actually have the nails driven, in, driven into him and that he was willing to die, that's, that's the beauty, right? Let's dive in. So turn if you are not there, turn your Bibles to James chapter 2. Here we go. Do you want to be shown? person that faith apart from works is useless. Start with the question. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person? I, one of the things that I have learned about Scripture, the more and more I've studied, is that it doesn't necessarily cast a great picture of us as people. Right? It, it calls us things like foolish. It calls us things like sheep. So I was just in the UK, and we were actually stopped on the road. So I have a lot of driving stories. Okay? So first, we, we get to London, and we rent a car, and we're going to drive all over the UK. And I realized very quickly that I'm on the wrong side of the car, and I'm on the wrong side of the road, and I'm driving a standard, and I'm trying to shift with my left hand. All right? So there's a lot of new. It feels like I'm in mirror. Like it's just, hey, everything's mirrored, right? It was weird. And then, except shifting with my left hand was even more complex, because first gear wasn't closest to me. It was farthest away. So I missed first gear quite a bit. I'm pretty certain they need to replace the clutch in that car after me driving it for like eight days. But it was it was odd. It was it was weird. It was it was difficult and it was new. And and I have all kinds of crazy stories that you know maybe the passengers in the car didn't weren't freaking out as much as I was. But I was like, okay, luckily or by God's favor, I made the right decision here and turned into the right lane. But naturally, I wanted to go a different direction. 
it was a good example for me of realizing how ultimately foolish we can be. I mean, I'm I'm driving on the on the left side of the road, and my brain is thinking I need to be on the right side of the road, and then I'm watching people do things that I think that they should just do, and I'm yelling at them or whatever. I'm also trying not to. But we're we're not the smartest people on the planet. It took me like four days to really figure this out, and I'm a decent driver. Scripture calls us sheep, but as we're driving, one of the things that, that hit me is we actually got stopped by sheep. Right? Like, pulled up, like, why are we waiting? And then here comes a sheep crossing the road. And I'm looking around and I'm thinking, where's the shepherd? I like, where's the shepherd? And I never saw the shepherd, which means it tells me that the sheep were crossing the road on their own. Right? Now, if you know anything about sheep, they're not bright. They're the only animal that I'm aware of that needs a shepherd. Right? They, they have to have somebody full time there. There are stories of sheep uh, dying of thirst next to water. Because if the water is running too fast, they won't drink it. So the shepherd has to come in and find some way to kind of slow the water down and then lead them to water and go, you're thirsty and you're going to die, drink. Like they pretty much have to do everything but like take it. I don't know, maybe they can take the sheep's head and like dunk it in the water and go, listen, this is, this is like life-giving, right? We're not... We're not. We're, we're actually called sheep in Scripture. It's not flattering. In this passage, we're actually called fools. Why? Because we misconstrue this idea of what faith and works is supposed to look like. There's this. There's this misconception and understanding. So, and I, and I would say there's kind of like two extremes. There's there's the individuals who say, well. I am saved by grace and faith alone, which is an accurate statement. Therefore, it doesn't really matter what I do. And Jesus would say, hmm, interesting. It doesn't really matter what you do. So, if I go back to Jesus, did it really matter what he did? Did he care about what his apostles were doing? And then we have this other extreme where it's like, you're saved by works. And then we go, okay, well, that's not true. Because now all of our salvation is based upon us and not Jesus, which means that Jesus, what Jesus did on the cross, it is enough. And we're constantly battling these two extremes, right? Um, at growing up, it was like, hey, I, I know that I believe what I believe. I know that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I know that I'm His. I know that I'm saved. But am I doing enough or... What more do I need to do? And there was this constant, as a, as a kid, this constant thing of, you know, I need to be doing certain things, and there's things that have to happen, and, and so on and so forth. And then they would put me over here into this camp, and then when I blew it, it was like, what do I have to do to work my way back to this, this feeling that I was having before? And there was this constant battle between how, how strong is my faith versus how much work do I have to get done? And I would say, across the board, this is a, a really difficult concept for most Christ followers. back to identity. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? The two work hand in hand. They don't work hand in hand for our salvation, but they sure work hand in hand for the display of who we are and our own understanding of our identification. And when you believe something wholeheartedly, something should change. I like using marriage a lot because I just think it's, it's, a, it's something that we all understand. It's, it, it would be interesting if I just said, okay, Christy, I, I want you to marry me, and here's a ring, and we go through a ceremony, and then, but we're going to live apart. I don't really want to see you, and I don't want to hang out. Don't touch me. Right? So, but, we'll, but we're married. And people would come to me and go, I see a ring on your finger, but I've never met your wife. Well, I'm married, but we're not really together. So there's evidence of the marriage. It's not, it goes beyond just a ring. There's like, 
when, when I'm talking to other people, Christy should come up in my conversation. Why? Because she's important to me. There, it's weird. Oftentimes, I mean, you don't know if you've ever met this person, but like you work with somebody or you know somebody and you find out later that they're married and you've known them for a long time. You're like, what? Like, I've never even heard you mention your spouse before. It's, there's, there's like an identity that you hold on to, but the evidence or the lifestyle doesn't change. If you truly love something or love someone or truly believe something, then your life begins to reflect that. The two things go hand in hand. They have to. They have to. Or then you have to question, do I really believe it? Right? Do I really believe in marriage? Do I really love this person if I don't want to be around them? say, you know what, you're my best friend, but I want nothing to do with you. It's weird. So, what James does, he kind of gives two examples here from Scripture. One is Abraham, the other one is Rahab. We'll go through these pretty quickly. Verse 21, he says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? So, if you don't know this story, this is in the Old Testament. Um, Abraham was chosen by God to be this individual that a group of people that the Lord was going to bless in a very certain way was going to come through. Abraham's call was unique. He said, hey, you're living here, and I'm going to move you over here, and I'm going to give you some promises. And Abraham was like, nope, let's go. There was this promise. There's so many promises that God gave Abraham back in the day, right? And one of those promises, I'm going to make you a great nation. Which means that at some point, Abraham has to have a child. And it was a struggle. In fact, Abraham made some really bad decisions and choices when it came to attempting to take this matter into his own hands. One of the things that we have learned in the short, you know, just what, 12 years that we've been doing ministry in Boston, is that the Lord, when he speaks, it's going to come to fruition. It's, it's the vision is there. It's his. God told Abraham he was going to make him a great nation, but Abraham wanted it done his way, his method, his timing. And we do that all the time, right? So let's say, let's hold on tight to the vision that God gives you, but hold on very loose to the methods by which he's going to accomplish it. It's not going to happen the way that you think it's going to happen. In fact, it's going to take some work, but it's going to happen because God promised. So Abraham makes some mistakes, and then, this miraculous thing with his wife who appeared to be completely barren and old ends up giving birth to this child that they name Isaac. And as Isaac is growing and Abraham is in love with this son and doting over him and spending time with him and sharing pita and whatever it is, right? The Lord says, hey, sacrifice your only son to me. And Abraham says, okay. Now, I don't play this scene out in my head a lot because once again, I'm a visual or like movie version type thing. And as Abraham, the way I picture this, Abraham has got this boy on the altar and he's looking at his son in the eyes knowing that he is about to kill his son and he's got the knife in his hand. I like, don't think it was a gun. And he's about to kind of it's coming down, and I picture the Lord in that moment, and he says, stop. Because he says stop. But what, but the point of this was that Abraham was showing that he loved God more than he loved the things that God does for him. It was a question of his identity. Do you love me, Abraham, because I can do cool things and I'm blessing you? Or do you love me because I'm creator? and sustainer, and everything. Right? There's other ways to ask, you know, you have these moments in your life, like I, I used to ask students a lot, like, okay, if you were to die today, would you be disappointed? It, it's one of these things that, like, I think helps us evaluate 
how do we really see Jesus? Because ultimately, as a Christ follower, our ultimate desire is to be face-to-face with Christ. So if I were to die today, would I be disappointed? And oftentimes, if you're honest, you might go, well, I was really hoping to like get married today and have kids and, and my career did this and that. And, but you have Jesus. Or maybe here's another one. If, if heaven was perfect, but there was no Jesus there, would you be okay with that? It's a question of our identity. Like, what do we truly love? What do we, what do we hold dear? I think oftentimes as Christ followers, and this was the test with Abraham. Abraham, you've attempted to do things in your own power. You've been attempting to make decisions that you weren't supposed to make. And every one of those decisions is wrapped around this idea that you say that you're faithful, but you keep doing it your way. So are you really faithful? It's a good question. And it cuts to the heart of everything. Right? We have stories in Scripture of Jesus running people through this kind of thing. I remember he went to the rich young ruler, and he actually, I, I'm overwhelmed with the story often, where Jesus goes to this rich guy, and he's like, hey, join me. Join my crew. Like, I'm offering you the opportunity to be one of these guys walking around with me, and learning from me, and being engaged with me, and it says the rich young ruler was like, well, I believe, yeah, I I know who you are, but money is awesome. And if I'm going to have to follow you, it means I'm going to have to give up the money. And then Jesus would say, do you really believe? So the goal isn't here to, oh, you have to all get up with your money. That was his test. I know people have been tested the opposite. They've been given a whole lot of money, and the question is, what are you going to do with it? Abraham's test here was, is your faith going to go beyond lip service when it really matters? When I was growing up, they used to call it fire insurance, right? Like, Paul addresses this. He doesn't call it fire insurance because I don't think they had insurance back then. Maybe. Fair to me, the world was thoughtful. Um, Paul, Paul would often like say things like, if you really believe that your life should look this way, we don't, just because we know that our sins are forgiven doesn't mean that we should keep sinning. Because if you truly love Jesus, then there's going to be something in you that says, my love for him is so great that I desire to please him in every way I possibly can with the life that he saves. And it's foolishness to say, well, that means, you know, I can't make mistakes, and that means I'm never going to sin again. We've already addressed that. That's not possible. It is possible, but it's not possible. Right? Sin-cursed body, sin-cursed world. You're going to blow it. But the question is, and what James is putting there on the cards is, do you love those things more than Jesus? And if you're claiming to love Jesus and you're doing things consistently that put him on the cross and that he died to free you from, then do you really love him? If you're okay with it. It's a hard question. Sometimes when we look in the mirror, we don't always love what we see. Abraham, we keep reading, it says that he succeeded in this, right? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. This is my favorite title in scripture. King David and oh he's a, a man after God's own heart and I'm like that's awesome but I don't know of a bigger compliment in scripture that God could bestow upon any human being than to say this is my friend because Abraham's Abraham's faith was displayed in that he was willing to give up that which he valued on this earth most to 
please God. And his faith was so good, actually, if you read it in the book of Hebrews, it says that he had a motivation behind it. He believed that even if he did kill his son, that God had the power to bring him back from the dead. That's faith. So, as Abraham's going into this, he's looking at something very, very difficult. And his faith is being tested. But his faith in who God is and how sovereign he is and how much he's in control overwhelmed all of the circumstances that were in his life to say, I'm willing to be obedient because I truly know who you are. And then we get to the the real big pushback here, right? Because what if you don't truly know who he is? Christ-followers, I think, have this misperceived misperception of who God is. We tend to either, like, fear Him in an unhealthy way, or we think He's the God, like Zeus that has lightning bolts and is waiting for it to mess up and chuck him at us. Right? I remember that as a kid. I remember doing something wrong and thinking, alright, God, like, I'm just going to sit back and wait for the punishment. Because I didn't understand the gospel. Not in a practical way. There's ramifications for sin. I understand that. But I was expecting the Lord to go, wow, you did that, so this is what's going to happen to you as a result, and it's going to be horrific, right? And part of that is that's how our earthly fathers behaved. All of us. How I behaved as a father. So we kind of associate that with God, and it's, it's a misperception. not just sitting back waiting for it to mess up so that he can punish it. Jesus is the proof of that. Scripture says that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You didn't clean yourself up and then Christ came and died for you. You He isn't offered to you because you're doing the works that you're supposed to be doing and there's evidence of him in your life. There can't be without him. that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone and in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by the works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. And if you, want, again, if you don't know this is an Old Testament story so we've got uh, this city called Jericho and it's got this crazy wall around it, right? And God had promised Joshua that he would, and even before that Moses that he was going to give them the land and Jericho was in the way. Had to defeat Jericho, and Jericho had this crazy wall, and maybe you remember the Sunday school version, and they're just marching on the wall, and the wall fell, and so on and so forth. But oftentimes we forget this individual Rahab who actually fell as well. She was an unbeliever, she didn't necessarily know God, but when she heard the stories, she made this profession of faith that these spies came in and they stayed with her, who she was a prostitute, which means she wasn't necessarily living out what God would have her, the way that God would have her live. Spies come in, they're checking out the city. It's like, how are we going to attack this city? How are we going to defeat this city? And then the officials hear that these spies are there, and Rahab ends up hiding them. And her response is, the reason I'm going to hide you and get you out of the city is because I believe that the God that you proclaim is actually truly God. I believe that he has promised you this land, and I know that he's going to give it to you. This is a profession of faith. This is... God is who he says that he is in every way. He's promised this. It hasn't happened yet, but I know it's going to happen. And how was her faith displayed? By protecting the spies and ultimately committing treason on her own city. And James says it's, it's the evidence, what she did, what she did in her actions was the evidence not only for the spies to understand that what she claimed was true in her heart, but for herself to understand that what she claimed was true in her heart. Am I really willing? I mean, I'm, I'm already hated in the city. You know history. She's not a prostitute because she can get money from TikTok, right? This would have been a last resort. She would have been hated in her community. She was despised. She was surviving. There wasn't a whole lot of benefit here. It was just going to enhance the, the hatred that others would have when they found out that she committed treason against their city. 
A lot of people are going to die as a result of this. But her declaration of faith in the Lord was ultimately declared by her actions. That when the rubber hit the road, when, however you want to say this, is the Messiah. You may claim that Jesus is who He says He is. You may understand what He did for you. You might even be saved. But are your actions supporting that? What actions would that be? Well, you look like Jesus. You look like Jesus more than God.
just that fire insurance moment. It's like, well, I, I made an emotional decision at this point when it was like I was, I was struggling with this idea. Do I, do I want to go to heaven? Do I want to go to hell? Well, there's a fair assessment to go. I don't think anybody would ever say, if those two places exist, I want to go to hell. I've heard actually somebody say that once, and I thought, I just cried for them. don't know what you're saying. Right? Faced with a choice of do you want to be blessed or do you want to be cursed, you would have to be psychotic to say cursed every time. And oftentimes we, we look at this as a decision to go, oh, well, this is a heaven or hell decision, and it is, but that's all we've based our decision upon, and we really haven't fallen in love with the Savior. There hasn't been a heart change. It says in Scripture that at that moment, he, he removes our heart of stone and gives us a heart of flesh. It, there's there's, a, there's a, a transition that takes place. There's something different. We, we view the world differently. We, we go from death to life. We're no longer just this, these bodies walking around stuck in sin, chained to sin. We're, we're literally living, breathing, walking around, looking at things differently. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. so many things. Does the Holy Spirit live in your life? Is there evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life? There's, I mean, we could go through a huge list, but ultimately this makes it very simple for us. When the mirror is put in front of us, is our natural tendency to behave more like Jesus or more like our flesh? That helps us gather information. Right? It, we're really good at doing this with other people. Oh, I don't know if they're a believer. I haven't seen any tangible evidence of Jesus in their life. church, we're supposed to judge each other, right? If you claim to be a Christ follower, we're supposed to judge each other, but I think oftentimes the individuals who go directly to judgment are oftentimes probably the ones who are the most lost.
we really want to know, we really want to know how people who really want to know are you generous. Am I I truly a generous person? The only way to determine for yourself whether or not you're generous or not is are you giving? It's one thing to say, well, I'm generous. It's another thing to actually be generous. I picked this one because it's, to me, one of the most easy ones to come up with. Like, am I a generous person? Well, am I giving of myself to other people? Am I sacrificing my time, my talents, my treasure, my, my, my body, like, for others? Like, is generosity something that other people see in me that I actually see in myself? Or am I just declaring myself generous because it's something that I'm supposed to be? step one. But as, if you're claiming to know Jesus, then the question is, is it reflected in your life? Like, is it a true faith? Because faith without works is dead. So, you can claim something with your mouth, but if you're not acting on it, Scripture says it's dead. So what needs to change? How do you need to act differently? How do you employ the gospel into your life in very practical ways that your response or your attitude or looks more like Jesus. And here's the thing, like, don't overwhelm yourself by going, uh, oh, because that's not gospel either. But it would be conducive to pick one. Wow, I've got 900 areas that need to be improved. It's the person that looks at the world and goes, it's such a mess that there's no way I can make a difference. And then we go, then do for one what you wish you could do for everybody. Right? We get so overwhelmed. But getting overwhelmed with our own depravity isn't the gospel. Some of you just need more hope. You're like, man, the world feels hopeless. I'm like, then do you really know Jesus? should be the most hope-filled people on the planet. Oh, I'm depressed all the time. I just like, it's like you're, is there any joy in your life? Christ Paul should be the most joy-filled individuals on the planet. truly willing that he'll, he'll show us 
what needs to change, what needs to happen. He'll reveal to us the areas of our life that are deficient of the gospel. And then he'll give us the grace that we need to apply the gospel to those areas of our life. But I think it begins with this. Lord, I love my actions, I love my friends, and every way possible. I think that should be the prayer of every Christ follower's heart. Even in the moments of our flesh. So we're going to give you a little bit of time here. The band's going to come up and sing a song. Communion elements are available. There's some over on this side in fancy gypsy cups. Some over on this side. This is your time. Don't rush it. Take the time that you need. change in our life, it's got to be through the power of the gospel. And so communion reminds us of what Jesus did and who he is. So the elements are there. I would just encourage you, take some time to pray. Ask the Lord what he's asking you. Listen. Know that you can't make the change without him and then ask him for the grace to make Thank you for your word. Lord, it's hard.